Welcome to the True Blue LA podcast. I'm Jacob Birch. Eric Steven is here. And Eric, we've been starting every episode this season with a statistical update of the Dodgers MPP so far. So I need you to get the your scorebook out. Are you ready? Sure. I need the Travis uh, Darno statistical update. Okay, so Travis Darno, uh, he is if had he remained a Dodger. Uh, at the time of last week's recording, he was a Dodger for one day. He is no longer a Dodger. He was a Dodger for five days and five games. He appeared in one of them. Uh, he was over one. So his uh, his Travis Arno stat update is zero uh, batting average, zero on base percentage, and zero slugging percentage. Full full season pace. Had he remained a Dodger, uh, thirty two plate appearances over thirty two. So it's pretty good. Not not really a qualifying so. plate appearance number. So nope. so what was the de- what was short. the deal with that? <laughs> We've got a lot of good Dodgers news this year. Uh, excuse me, this week, a couple of losses, but nothing nothing too bad. But what a strange signing! Did, do you have any insight as to what the motivation, uh, <laughs> both to sign and to release so quickly, was? It was a little weird, like um, in that. I mean. Like just the way that the that a lot of major league rosters are constructed these days with thirteen pitchers, which the Dodgers have done a lot for the last you know under basically Friedman and and Zaidi when he was here. Um, so it leaves only twelve position players. It leaves you with a short bench of only four players. And when one of those is a backup catcher, uh, it limits your options. And so to have a roster with three catchers is you know, crazy, uh, or like very rare at least in these, in these times. And for the Dodgers to sort of do that, embrace that, um, even with sort of the, the pseudo flexibility of like, uh, Austin Barnes, who could play second and Russell Martin's played all over, but I mean, it's not like you would start any of these guys at, I think Barnes at second has the best case for like starting at second, you know, or playing regularly. But even that, like, I would not want that for a full season. Uh, but even with that flexibility, like it's still super weird to have three catchers um, on a short bench. Uh, but I think what it shows is like with the AJ Pollock injury, the, the Dodgers sort of immediate depth is sort of tested a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they called up Matt Beatty, um, and he was the one who was sent down uh, when they signed Darno. I think it was just a case of like, as as we've seen the last like four years. Anytime you can make like an incremental upgrade, you do it and you just deal with it later. Like, uh, we, but is this like, but then they gave up on the upgrade? Is this just a situation where, but after five days, they figured out he wasn't an upgrade? Well, so, so they, they signed him. So, like, he, he, he was an ARP guy. Um, his lap is he has five years of service time and, um, nearly free agent. So he, he was like making just over three and a half million with the Mets. They released him, so they're responsible for like all of his salary. So the Dodgers' commitment was is, was dirt cheap. It was prorated share of the major league minimum. It's five hundred fifty five thousand for the whole year, um, and so 
had they kept him, it would have been like, you know, a little bit over 400 grand for the whole year. So that's like, in baseball terms, it's nothing. It's it's literally calling up like Matt Beatty was making that this year. So mm-hmm. you're not, it's a one-to-one wash salary-wise there. Um, so it's like guy with major league experience, decent hitter against lefties, you know, not something you'd like, um, uh, you, you like, you know, count on necessarily, but to have as a pinch uh, hitter option, that's fine. So I think that's what it was. The thing is, he's he's out of options, or no, he has an option, but with five years of service time, you can't send him down without his permission. So essentially, effectively out of options. But um, so but yeah, I just I'm, think it's one of those things. Like he, he was there, available, so they let. Well, we have an open spot. Let's get him, and we'll, if we can use him, great. If not, no big deal. And so, is it was it just a fact of whatever cast considerations they got from Tampa Bay just outweighed whatever upgrade over Rocky Gale he was? Yeah, and, and so I think what it was is like Tampa Bay became more desperate because they're a, a contending team, and like both of their catchers were hurt, so like they like, they truly needed a catcher. Whereas the Dodgers were like, they actually <laughs> they had uh, Darno like work out in first base and left field like over the first couple of days he was here. He didn't even he didn't even play, and it was like, uh, hey, if we use you, it might be later innings. You might not fill in or whatever. And Darno, whatever he's willing to do, whatever he. A couple years ago, the Yankees were desperate; they had a, got a lot of guys hurt, so he started at second. I think we talked about this last week. It was the game where he and Azrubel Cabrera, I'm sorry, the Mets. Uh, he and Azrubel Cabrera switched off at second and third, depending on who was up. And so the box score looked ridiculous, but it was awesome because they they like switched off like 15 times. And uh, but Darno had never played either of those positions before professionally, so he had not played first or left either. But he's like, "Hey, I'm willing to do it." Ended up, he didn't even get to, to do that. He just he pinch hit the one time. But um, yeah, so I think that's what it was. So Tampa Bay was desperate enough. I have no idea what the cash considerations was. Yeah. I doubt it was. I mean, it could have been a million bucks. I doubt it was that much. But I think any even, I think it all sort of counts, right? Like. So if they made a trade in like say July, and like they're taking on I don't know like a like an eight million dollar salary, but it's really like two and a half what's left of it. So if they can knock like say five hundred grand off or whatever they got from Tampa Bay in terms of like a luxury tax number, I don't if, if that's what they're worried about. Like that helps. Any, anything on the bottom line helps. And and frankly, like Darno, while probably an upgrade over what they had, wasn't like. Sure. You're not going to like move heaven and earth to like keep them around. So I think it was, they probably got enough to justify it. Um, yeah. So, but it was odd. You're right. Like it was, it was an odd fit. All right. That's already six and a half more minutes than I ever thought I would spend talking about Travis Darno. So, well, just wait, wait till we see the, the title of this episode. <laughs> it's so, all Darno. That's all it is. Do you have a Cody yeah. Bellinger update for us? Yeah. Um, so Cody Bellinger, um, he, he is down, his pace is down to more human levels now, um, 54 home runs, 143 RBIs. So, um, the 54, uh, would be a Dodgers record. So, uh, but he's still, uh, you know, still kind of on like relatively on fire. Like he leads the majors in RBIs, runs, hits batting average on base and slugging and by extension OPS. Um, he's two home runs behind um, uh, Christian Yelich. So Bellinger's at 14. Um, 
it was interesting. Uh, Bellinger was three for three on Sunday. He entered the day, I think, 394. And that was weird because it was it was one of the rare times he had, like, fallen below 400 this year. But then he went three for three, so he's back up to, like, 407 now. And, look, it's it's May 12th or May 13th, and we're recording this now. It's ridiculous to, like, talk about this now. But the fact that anyone's over 400 at any point, like, after April is always, like, a story to me. So it's very impressive, uh, but also what's more impressive, so the Dodgers have played 43 games. Um, at the end of those games, Cody Bellinger has been under 400. Uh, how many times would you guess out of the 43? Two. Oh, man, you undershot it. It's five. Uh, a five. Which is very impressive. What a slacker. Yeah, but so he was 333 after the um, second game of the season. Okay. I thought it was only uh, one and, of those, so. No, but the, the 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 other four came this week. So like he fell he fell well behind, uh, well behind. Like he, he his lowest was three ninety four. Right. So like yeah, he just fell all the way to three ninety four. So good lord, what a slumper. Um, but yeah, so then he's back. But uh, what's funny? So his his OPS after that second game, uh, he was uh, it was one thousand sixty seven, and since then. Uh, he is not, he's, his lowest is, uh, 1234. <laughs> so he's currently at 1258. So he's, he's, he's already at like one of the lowest points of the season for him. And it, and he's, at, he has a 1258 OPS. So this tells you what kind of a season he's had. Mentioned earlier, the Dodgers went five and two this week, but it felt like a really, really good five and two and five and two is good to begin with. Yeah, well, and like if you look at it just um, without looking at the team's records that they played, like Braves and Nationals preseason sort of contenders in the NL East. So like they played the Braves in the playoffs last year. So five and two against that squad, pretty good. You look back a little bit, and the Nationals have just been like completely slumping this year and terrible. Um, and uh, second straight year, basically after they fired Dusty Baker for you know dumb reasons, um, and so you're wondering what the hell is wrong with that organization. But um, they split with the Nationals after sweeping the Braves. It was kind of a weird week, like. But at, at the end of it, like you look at big picture, like five and two against those two teams, like you'll take that all the time. Like, and it's weird too because it could have been like even better, like just the way the week sort of played out, but. Yeah, we have sort of a, you and I were talking before we recorded, uh, sort of a kind of a weird Grand Slam on Saturday's game where it's like a fluky double play that wasn't, and then sort of some softer contact and sort of not horrible performances from Baez and Floro, just not, not, clearly not their best. Well, yeah, and so, yeah, Dylan Floro gave up a grand slam. He had, he had uh, the second time in about a week and a half where he, he came in with the bases loaded and gave up all the runs. Uh, and be, in, in a weird twist, like, um, that inning, so the the national the Dodgers were up 2-0 uh, in the eighth, and they Nationals scored one, uh, and then Gerardo Parra with two outs. Uh, he had a grand slam, and they won 5-2. to two. Uh, Dylan Floro gave up the grand slam, but that was the only run he gave up. But because of the error, the run for the team was unearned. Um, it because of a weird baseball rule, it should have been earned for Dylan Floro because he, a reliever, doesn't get the benefit of like the doubt on an earlier play. Normally, you, with the way like scoring works, is if an error happens, you 
you play the inning out as if an out happened or whatever was supposed to happen. And then, you know, it, you sort of play it accordingly. And uh, so it was a weird thing. So Dylan Floro, he actually gave up three runs total on the season. They were, they're all three are recently, but all, all three are unearned so far. The, the score screwed up on that. It should be earned for him, but unearned for the team. It's a very weird baseball quirk. It, it kind of screws up spreadsheets, I guess, in a way, because the totals don't add up. But um, for, the, for the moment, he still has a zero ERA, which is funny. Uh, last week for the Dodgers, the bullpen, um, uh, they gave up eight runs. But all of them were unearned. So the bullpen had a spotless zero ERA for the week. It was very weird. And in that Saturday game, there was a lot of good to talk about, specifically Walker Bueller. Yeah. So, like, um, both of his starts were really good uh, this last week. He, he pitched seven innings twice. And on Saturday, he was scoreless. And he's like, he's been great. And, like, Oral Hershiser on the broadcast was talking about this. He basically said, this is like the fully formed. Walker Bueller we're seeing now, he's like, look, he had a one start in spring training. He started off slow. So, like, that was basically his spring training. And then you saw him, like, sort of build it up a little bit and get better. And he did struggle early. Um, and you, you, you were at one of the games. He actually hit a home run, but he, he did not pitch well. Um, but so he, he's, like, basically where he's at had he had a full spring training, you know, or whatever it seems like now. So he's looking very, very good and sort of adding him to the – you know, the mix of the top of the rotation um, makes the Dodgers, I think, very formidable. And yet he was the second best starting pitcher for the Dodgers this week. Right. And, and, and wow, not cl- wide and, Yeah, but say not close. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, our good friend Gerardo Parra, um, who hit the Grand Slam Saturday in the eighth inning, came up in the eighth inning Sunday, and he singled, or was it a single or a double? A, I think it was a it single. Was a, it was a double, I think. It was a double. That's right. It was over Jack Peterson's head, right? And, um, uh, but the significance of that was not that the, it helped the Nationals like take the lead or anything, but it was the first hit of the game against Hyunjin Ryu, uh, who has, was dominant. Like, he had two starts this last week. Uh, he had a perfect game into the sixth on Monday. He just, he settled for a four hit shutout. Uh, and then Sunday, he took a no hitter into the eighth. Ended up completing the eight innings, uh, all scoreless. Uh, he did walk a batter Sunday, which was his first walk at home since like last August. He went, uh, I think it was sixty-six and a third innings at home without a walk, including the playoffs, which is ridiculous, dumb. Yeah, it's just like that doesn't happen. But so he, re, in many ways, Yunjin Ryu failed uh, this week <laughs> because he did walk a batter, but yeah. <laughs> but he 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 worked his way around the walk and and allowed zero runs. Over 17 innings. So he's at, um, uh, what is he, 173, I think? Yeah, once uh, on the season. And um, his, um, <coughs> excuse me, his he has a, a scoreless streak of 25 innings at the moment. So he has been, like, just ridiculous. Like, it's just crazy. And I just want to quickly reiterate that the the start against the Braves was not only a four pit four hit, excuse me, shutout. It was a Maddox, probably my favorite. Oh, right. Under a hundred pitches. uh, I think it was 93, something ridiculous. So like, you know, when you're just completely in control and like, uh, you don't really give up anything and like, it's, it's almost like you're cruising. That's what Ryu was doing. And he's been doing it like since the beginning of last season, really his, his ERA since the start of, um, 2018 during the regular season 187 uh and that's the best in the majors so uh good for him 
And I know there's a hitter you want to talk about, but just to stick to starting pitching just a little bit, what a what a sort of an about face from the first kind of few weeks where the rotation was a serious concern for the Dodgers. Granted, a lot of that was sort of built into the injuries that Kershaw and Hill had, but it looks like their biggest strength right now. Maybe their biggest strength that's not in yeah, the Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, or uh, yeah, and like you saw, like the week. Uh, I think we can all clearly we understand now. Partially, this is your fault for going into <laughs> St. Louis. Uh, I know. I'm sorry, <laughs> but no. So that week, that week, it was something like um, I think for like six games, the Dodgers starters had like uh, it was something like as many runs as innings. It was like 26 runs in 26 innings or something dumb, where they were barely averaging like four innings. Part of that was Ryu got hurt in the second inning one of the games, but like they were just terrible and like pretty much they lost six games in a row. Um, and then the Ross Stripling pitched like eight innings on a Sunday. And like, since then they've been like lights out as a staff, like for the most part, there's been a few hiccups, but just overall, they've been great. And part of that, you're right. Getting, getting Hershaw back, getting Hill back, although Hill has been like kind of hit or miss. And mm-hmm. they're in fact, they're, they, they moved him back. The Dodgers have a weird schedule in the next two weeks. They're off today. They're off Thursday this week, too. Next week, the same thing. Two to two off days in a week. So four off days um, in a very short span. But they had also played more than anyone else in the first uh, seven weeks. So um, they're, they maneuvered their rotational bits. They're, they're moving Hill back. Although it's just more, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Uh, and also, I just wanted to clarify, I said 173 for Ryu. He's at 172, so I don't want to shortchange him. There's a memo that the Dodgers hit a lot of home run and it got lost in the mail for Justin Turner, but boy, has he found it. Man, uh, so his, we've seen this, like, right? His, his MO has always been, like, part of it, he was hurt a couple Aprils, so, like, that, that played into it, but he still only has, like, he has three April home runs in his career. And, like, um, he has, uh, 99 home runs. They're not, you know, including his time away from the Dodgers, but just to only have three in April is kind of bizarre. And it, like he has three in 480 career plate appearances, so it's not like it's a huge thing. But that was we've seen like as the sort of summer months heat up, he's either healthier or it just starts to heat up as well. Um, and that was the case. This like this, this last this last week. So he had a, he had like I said one home run in April, and he so last and end of last Sunday. Um, Turner was at a uh, 707 OPS. So uh, at the end of the week, and of course, uh, like during a live podcast recording, like that's like the best time for pages not to load. But I oh, know. So he was at, <laughs> he was at 707 OPS. Uh, and now he's already back in one week. He's up to 845. So we mentioned like, uh, you know, while he was slumping a little bit, his batted ball numbers did show. He was hitting the ball harder, and he should have been getting the better results. And boy, did he get them this week! So he had he had five home runs uh, during the week, giving him six on the year. Uh, three of those came Tuesday. So um, sort of uh, the Dodgers had, had a, a, at least one player hit three home runs for five straight years. They'd never done that before. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's sort of rounding into form. It's, and like I said, anytime you have, I mean, he's the driver of their offense. I know Cody Bellinger's been great but like turner's been like that consistent guy in the three or the four or the two or whatever spot somewhere in the heart of the order uh he's been that consistent guy for like three four years so 
um, to have him getting back to where he normally is, is, is always a good thing. Now we have some questions from Craig, but real quick, we normally, or maybe not normally, but frequently would have questions from Twitter here, or you would have another note you wanted to pass along kind of just as a side note. And we got nothing. And I blame this team being just a little bit too good. Yeah. I, so I, you know, covering the team for like a decade, basically, uh, I thought the worst it was going to be was 2009. Like the Dodgers were, they were a 95 win team. They had the best record in the national league. And that season was hellish in the comment section of uh, true bill. I just remember it was terrible. You would think this team was like so bad. And even though the team was winning, the comments were, it was, it was awful. Um, and, you know, they've improved a little bit over the years. You know, we've fostered the community a little bit. But just generally comments, uh, like, I don't want to generalize, but they're often terrible um, and mean-spirited and bad. And the, the worst the team is, the you, you would think the, the worst the comments are, but sometimes it doesn't always adhere to that. But, yeah, like, they're just – there's not a lot to complain about, I guess – I guess the, the bullpen's always – even when the bullpen's good, though, people complain about it. Or, like, when the Dodgers are still scoring, they're like, well, they can't hit with runners in scoring position even when they are. Like, So, like, none of it's rational. But, like, um, there are actually reasons to gripe. Like, the bullpen's been pretty bad. Like, um, just generally, like, you know, very few reliable – yeah, but I think this uh, week the starters people. have been so good they haven't had a lot of time to show that off. <laughs> right. Like, for instance, so, like, Sunday, right uh, – we mentioned the Ryu shutout, and then he pitched eight. Kenley Jansen pitched Sunday for the first time in a week. Ross Stripling didn't even get into a game last week. Like um, Julio Urias saved that uh, had the Dodgers two saves. Monday was one of them because Kenley had pitched like three days in a row, so he was off. And then he had a three inning save, which you know happens like in a blowout usually. So, um, but actually, he actually came in with only a three run lead, but uh, he, he ended up doing a three inning save. So. And you know how much I love three inning saves. I but do. Like, uh, so, yeah, like, it, you, you'd be amazed. Like, uh, great starters tend to make bullpens greater because, A, they're not taxing them, and then so the, the bullpen gets better rested, and then it's like this weird domino effect that happens, and everyone everyone sort of gets better. It's a multiplier. So uh, that's what we've seen happen, I think. So uh, there's, like I said, not, not much to sort of complain about. And then, like I said, uh, sort of picking nits here, but – they do have Rocky Gale on the active roster now, so all due respect to Rocky Gale. Uh, so there's plenty of re- room to like still like get better. But I imagine as they uh, they keep doing a good job hiding Joe Kelly, we'll uh, we'll still have less questions. As soon as he pitches three yeah. times, four times in a week, we're gonna have ten copies of the same question. I'm sure. Yeah, and well, like we, we were talking about this before, like my usually it, it, it's something along the lines of should they catapult Joe Kelly into the sun? Like, should they feed him to a pack of wild hyenas? You know, that kind of, it's usually stuff like that. So uh, looking forward to more of those later in the year. All right, here we go. Questions from Craig. Are you ready? Yay. Yay. Per baseball reference, Cody Bellinger has a 4.4 war this season. The LA franchise record is Adrian Belte's 9.6 war 2004 season. Can Bellinger break that record? I mean... He could, but like, man, it's really hard to have a ten more year. Such a like, good, that was such a good season. Yeah, like, and what's funny, like, so I saw, I, I, for the most part, I try not to look at 
the questions from Craig ahead of time. I like being surprised, but he sent me, there's a question that you're going to answer, and he sent me a text with the answer, so I was compelled, and I looked at this, and I saw it, and my first thought was, wait a minute, what about Matt Kemp's 2011? Because there, there were times where um, I think he was up near 10 war uh, a little bit, and I think, I can't remember when, but there was some adjustment to, like, maybe it was defensive numbers or replacement level or something but like i just looked his his 2011 where he nearly went 40 40 and almost won the triple crown um he had an eight war year so uh but that just goes to show you how good beltray's 9.6 was but yeah i mean look 9.6 i'm not gonna like like if if you told me what cody bellinger right would have a four 5.2 win season i would take that any day of the week so to say like Yes, he's going to have that in like less than five months. I can't, I can't commit to that. So I'm going to say he will not, he will not surpass um, Adrian Beltre this year. All right. Second question is for me. Mm-hmm. Do, do you have it up, or do I have to read my own trivia question? No, I, I will read it. Um, okay. Yeah. So okay. So as we know, NBA playoffs are going. Um, Craig said, "With the NBA season, winding, like I think he had the entire season, including the playoffs, but we're we're we just started the second round is over. Conference finals are set. It was actually a very exciting second round. But Jacob, as we know, you're an Indianapolis Pacers fan. So mm-hmm. uh, Craig's question to you: Three Pacers have been selected to play four or more All Star games since the '89-'90 season. Can you name them? I'll get so, to the second one after. Uh, so." Uh... Real quick, it's the Indiana Pacers. I want to make sure that's that's clear. Oh wow, yeah. yeah. He, I, I was reading it for me. You're right. Yeah, it's a it's a thing. Uh, Pacer fans get prickly Craig, about. I, I don't. Know. I, I screw it up about half the time because it's the, Craig, it is the Indianapolis Colts, but the Indiana Pacers. So Craig writes the um, minor league reports a lot, and so um, I would just give him the benefit of the doubt and say he was thinking of Triple A Indianapolis on his mind. Uh, it, yeah, so, the, yeah. yeah. So anyways, uh, so I looked at this question, but I did no research ahead of time. So I have my four best guesses, and I've got some backups. So yeah. the obvious one's Reggie Miller. That is correct. He is he is one of them. He he was um, uh, he was an all star five times during that time period. Only five. Oh my gosh. I know. I actually, <laughs> if I would, I would have thought like ten or something like that. Like he was he was annually like at the, if even if he wasn't like he was like popular to the point where people thought he was like greater than he was not to say he wasn't great but yeah. like almost like a Derek Jeter or something where he was elevated to some other plane his uh, importance to the franchise sort of oh no question that, so and I even I don't even I don't even put it against him that he went to UCLA okay Paul George that is also correct he was a four-time all-star Rick Smith's no, uh, I don't. I I don't have. There's only like you said. There's only one more here. Uh, I don't have his up, but I'm going to pull it up as we're as we're going. Oh, here. it's only three. I thought it was four. There, so no, it's four four okay. time All Star, but there's only three of them. Okay, uh, Jermaine O'Neal. That is correct. So okay. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. No, assume... I would have not. I would have guessed Jermaine before Rick Smith. I thought I was going for okay. four. So so okay, and uh, just looking it up. Uh, actually, wow. Smith was only an all-star once. How is that possible? That, 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 he like, was the Dutch boy in the paint. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really good era for centers. Like that's that didn't shock me that he yeah. uh, he wasn't there. Um, I mean, look, he was in the East, right? And it basically was Shaq his entire career, uh, although not his entire career, but like the first half. 
so like I get it, like right. He was, and then like Alonzo Mourning and stuff. So it makes sense. But um, yeah. So oh yeah. So Jermaine O'Neal had the most. He had six. Where did I would not have guessed. I, no, he, Jermaine was really really good for a really long time. Uh, did Patrick, but I, but did Patrick I, Ewing go to the All Star game as a power forward or center? Do you know? Oh well, because that's he, who I was, was figuring was keeping. He was always out. a center. Okay. Yeah. It's one of those things where now and then they randomly will like hoist them in a different different spot, and look. The way they do it now is like front court, back court, but like yeah, it used to be pretty set positions. So or guard, guard forward, center at least. So yeah, uh, so there you go. Hey, I did okay. So yeah, you were. I I, I consider you three for three, and I, I will even the fact that you brought up Rick Smith warms my heart because he had <laughs> Dutch boy in the paint is one of the great nicknames of all time. So uh, you have a, uh, another question, I think, and it's a really obvious oh. answer. Oh yeah, so I mean, the the follow up from Greg, who is your favorite pacer and why? So it like I'm especially attuned to be a Reggie Miller fan, being a UCLA graduate pacer fan. Uh-huh. Uh, on top of the fact of how, by and large, he's the best, uh, certainly NBA, and you could probably you should probably will argue greatest pacer ever. So, and yeah. and in the era that my sports love. And it was really formative. Um, thinking back of that 2000 finals appearance, um, really, my f- probably the first sports series I really, really followed deeply and was made fun of by all my Laker friend friends, all of that. So it really entrenched this identity I had as the Indiana fan in a in a Laker town. So I uh, also yeah, I also on. enjoyed the 2000 finals. Uh, uh, Rick Smith is kind of high up there. Um, yeah, it was it was Ron Artest for a while, and then he threw away the uh, Pacers' uh, best chance at a championship almost single handedly. Uh, I have a bunch of other weird uh, former Pacers. Wait, uh, Jeff I, Foster, did, did, Austin Crozier. Oh my god, that's classic. Okay, <laughs> this is great. Um, so I, I I did I I do not want I'm not going to rub this in I will just say that this is going to sound like an asshole but I'll just give you where my mindset is at because I I don't feel this way anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I grew up uh, at the tail end of Showtime with the mm-hmm. Lakers, and so my first like full year of watching basketball is '86 '87 when the Lakers won the first of two back to back championships, and the Magic Johnson won MVP the first of those years, and he ended up winning like three MVPs in four years, and I was hooked. Right, like the Lakers were by everything. Uh, watch them like religiously. I watched, obviously I was a bigger baseball fan, but there was like literally one year where like, look, I didn't have a car uh, yet. Uh, but I, and uh, I forgot what year it was. I think it was like 91, 92, or maybe it's probably that year where I literally watched every single game on TV, like all 82 games and every playoff game. Like, <laughs> like if you think about it, that's a, that's a big time commitment. But when you're like a kid and you don't have much to do, like, it's not that impressive, but I thought I always thought it was like an accomplishment when it's really not. It's just me watching on TV. It's kind of dumb, but like I was, I was super into it. Um, and then like, um, I, I never, I, I never thought I was like used to the championships, but it was like, I find myself like missing that. And then I look back and it seems ridiculous now, but I just remember when the, and the Lakers got Kobe and Shaq in 96. So like they had three years of them, like sort of gelling together and they didn't put it all together. And then 2000 was the year they finally won it. But that was tough because they almost blew a 3-1 lead to the Blazers in the Western Conference Finals. And then in my mind, I was thinking, man, it's been 12 years since the Lakers won a championship. And, like, this is so long. And then uh-huh. 
and right no and i'm just telling you my honest opinion. and then uh-huh. like but so uh i was like i was so happy with that championship it was great like that was uh that was so great but then then i fl- flash forward to like um in 2009 this was post shack when kobe and pow they beat the magic and i remember when they won and it's gonna sound like an asshole again i felt like nothing i was like i this doesn't i don't I don't get the same like joy from it anymore. I ended up, I did get it the next year when they beat the Celtics, which was weird because the, the whole, the rivalry, like, you know, kind of, um, uh, you know, sort of stoked those fires, I guess. And I literally, when they, when I think I forgot at some point they threw the ball down the end of the court to like, almost run the timeout. And I, I literally jumped you know, like the Toyota commercial, like in the air, like jump for joy. Uh, but yeah, I've never felt that way uh, with the championship. Like it just doesn't, do anything for me uh like it did but like that that 2000 team it did for me and like so that's why um it was it was very it was very cool do you know so i i'm not sure how much you follow sort of non-laker nba but the the pacers have been the historically pretty good franchise for my entire life do you know the last time the pacers had a single digit draft pick Oh, wow. So, yeah, because they've always been, like, even in their sort of quote-unquote bad years, they've been, like, mid-40s wins, right, for a long right. time. So they had a and, top, they had, they've had a top 10 pick in 2010, which was Paul George. And prior to mm-hmm. that, their next top 10 pick was in 96, and their wow. last single, their own, they traded for the pick that became Jonathan Bender, but their last own single-digit draft pick was 1989, where they, oh it was God. George McLeod, and the last um, the top three pick was uh, Rick Smith in '88. Amazing. Uh, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, it's a good recipe for being what they are, but they're going to have to get really fortunate to kind of really push over the edge, which I hope they do. Uh, I am a fairly big Pacers fan, obviously, but mm-hmm. my brother is take all my love and triple it. So yeah. for his sake, I really, really hope the Pacers can pull just one. We're not greedy; just pull one off. I, um, I, go ahead. I would think like if, if Oladipo is healthy, like at least you know, like yeah, getting to the Eastern guess, Conference Finals maybe as a sort well, of well, because when they traded Paul George, right? It was like, well, they're here. There's the beginning. Like they're gonna start to tear it down, and they they're like still good and like <laughs> sort of better. Yeah, it's take weird. LeBron to seven but, games. This is great. Let's then, do an like, NBA podcast. But then, like this year, like they were, they sort of weren't. They had the same similar thing where they were like, okay, they didn't make the jump that they maybe they thought they would. But then, like when Oladipo got hurt, they were better still. I was like, what? So they were they were the three seed in the East for a really long time, right? And they held on to it for a while. So maybe maybe they're just maybe they're Wolverine. Like maybe they (laughs) like no matter what you do to them, they're they're like they're at this base level of competence where. no matter how like what you do, they're gonna still like win forty five games, like no matter what. So that's funny. Well, I have a question for you, real quick before I do. Uh, shout out to current favorite Pacer Miles Turner. Uh, nice. Lo- okay. And pr- before him, Roy Hibbert. Love me, who you know sort of soured in Pacers uh, fans' mind, but he's kind of come Laker back. Laker legend, right? <laughs> right. Uh, give me a defensive oriented big man. I'm excited. All right, like you ready it. for your trivia question? Yes. Joe Kelly, hey, he found a way his way here. Has a 8.80 ERA in 15 games played. Four other LA Dodgers have had a season 
of an 8 ERA or higher with 15 or more games pitched? Can you name them? Okay, so... For our listeners, he has a note that the first one was in 2001 and the last one was 2015. And one more hit. I don't think you need this, Eric. But for our listeners, uh, three of them were as relievers and one did it as a starter. Okay, so the, when he when I saw the the note about two thousand one, well, one of the first names that came to mind, and I, but I don't know if he pitched fifteen games, which is the the weird thing for me. So, but I'm just going to say Oral Hershiser. But actually, now that I think about it, his last year was two thousand and not two thousand one, so maybe it's not him. It's not Oral. Okay, so uh, that is going to be worse than I thought. Then, <laughs> so well, one for sure is Hideo Nomo. Correct. ATM uh, yeah, started he, in 2004. He, he just like completely fell off the face of the earth. Um, My favorite Dodger, by the way. He was so good. Not that um, <laughs> Right. But he was very good in 2003, and then to yeah. do that, like, it was weird. Um, okay, so I thought, I knew Nomo. Uh, I thought Oral. So in my head, I'm like, I'm at least getting two. But then the third one I was thinking of, is it Kevin Correa? No, nope. I don't think he pitched 15 games either. Yeah, damn, this is like way I, there, tougher than I thought. W- so one of these names I thought you would get, and you're, I think you're going to kick yourself when you when you hear it. There's no question I'm a kick, especially 2015. I should be able to get, and but in the, for the life of me, like it is a uh, reliever the Dodgers made a trade for, right? Um, to you, yeah. Uh, I don't think, uh, yeah, I, Roberto Hernandez was not there, so I don't know. Jim yeah, Johnson. I, I, oh man, Jim Johnson, he is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's a. I was. I, I would have gotten none of these names because I think I blacked out the 2004 year for Nomo. Uh, uh, and then, but as Jim, soon as I saw Jim Johnson's name, I was like, oh yeah, that was bad. <laughs> Jim Johnson, man. That I. I mean, what a weird, I, weird season. For he him. was like. He was like good <laughs> everywhere, but the Dodgers. Like uh, <laughs> he was like good before they got him, and then good after they got him, but not good with the Dodgers. Like so, God, that was so bad. Oh yeah, that yeah, was his, really bad. So that season, his ERA plus with the Dodgers was thirty seven, and with <laughs> the Braves was one seventy two. <laughs> What a weird, <laughs> weird thing. So, and, and to put that just in, in like, uh, like actual like run terms, so he pitched forty-eight innings for the Braves and gave up, uh, well, fourteen runs, twelve earned runs, but fourteen runs, forty-eight innings for the Dodgers. He pitched eighteen and two-thirds innings and gave up twenty-two runs. <laughs> so amazing! What an amazing! Wow, that's incredible. So uh, you have two more. Uh, I'll just get you want you want to take another you, stab. You, you want you, me to give me? Two? Can you give me the years? 2001 and 2011. Oh, yeah. 2011. Um, uh, the the 2001 was in 28 games. 2011 was in 40 games. 28 games. Um, yeah, I, I wish I'm just blanking. I don't know. Uh, 2001 was Greg Olson. Cool. Okay. Nice. And then 2011 was Hunchy Quo. Oh, okay. Yeah, he had the, the unfortunate, like, I'm too hurt to do stuff. Yeah. And then, like, yeah. Oh, well. Next up. Sorry, I have to. I lost, no, my, that's all right. I lost my notepad. Here we are. 
would you basically plan to use Urias for two or more innings in every Maeda start right now? If not, how would you two use him until he starts games again? I mean, I so I much of this to me. I don't think... Yeah, so much of this to, to me depends on kind of what the medical staff says, uh, as opposed like it because I imagine it's possibly more than just a simple over the course of the year keep his innings to X. I bet it's like how you actually right, use him may right. depend. And if that's the situation where you're going to use him less frequently but in a longer stint to try and keep the arm, you know, a little bit. Uh, lengthened then that that's different than if you he just becomes this guy you can bring in all the time and and key high leverage situations yeah and like i don't and i as much as you want to plan for it you can never really plan for that like mm-hmm. oh today we're gonna pitch maeda and urias you know like it just never works out that way like so like the day before like rich hill might go like four and you need a long guy or something so like you just you just have him at the ready yeah, I think he's going to be like a basically a two inning reliever. Or, but at times, like we saw this, like he was rested, and Kenley was pitched for three straight games, so they went to Urias to close the game, and he was fine. So, uh, I think it's going to be mix and match. It's just like there's no, I don't think there's a set way to sort of do it, but they're just going to sort of use him as needed. Last question, and we haven't had a food question yet, so you knew it was coming. In a perfect world, does every hamburger come with a toasted bun? I mean, knee jerk, no, no way. Like, uh, I don't mind a toasted bun, but I don't, I don't go out of my way to get one. And I sometimes like I like buns, but there's especially sliders. There's some sliders where I just want that sort of yes, br- the soft, mushy, super yeah. soft, mushy bread to soap up yeah. all the mustard and stuff. Yeah, and like sometimes you just want the the softness of the bread, like mm-hmm. and. Sometimes the like the the crispiness or the uh, their toastiness works like to a great deal, but man, sometimes like that that softness like for some reason like In and Out I know they do sort of they lightly toast them, but their bread is still very spongy and soft, um, and so I kind of like that. Um, but it's probably a mix of both actually. Come to think of it, but uh, so yeah, I think the softer the better for me, as long as it's like structurally you know it doesn't like fall apart. But mm-hmm. like yeah. Uh, I don't not I don't I don't really toast mine. I don't go out of my way to toast them. That's the episode, Eric. Yeah, and we, well, no, we do. No, no, that's do- sorry, that's the last question. But you, yeah. you have a Dodgers rewind for us, and one I'm really excited about too. Right. So the um, this is a little bit of a weird one, only because I mean, like for the I've just thrown these together a little bit in recent recent weeks. I haven't had a lot of uh, preparation on some of these, but I think part of that is like I try to make them relevant to what's going on and so i wait to see what's happening and like uh you know if if sometimes i'll I'll like just randomly look at old baseball cards and be like oh that guy's interesting but so this week yesterday ryu um he's had uh three straight starts of eight innings uh he allowed one run in the first of those and uh none in the last two but so uh, uh kazuto yamazaki yesterday tweeted um Ryu is the first non-Kershaw Dodgers lefty to throw back-to-back shutout starts of eight innings or more. And this is one of those classic, like, so many, like, um, qualifiers, but it's great. The first one to do that since, Rick Honeycutt, his current pitching coach, June 5th to the 10th, 1986. And this is not, I mean, look, 
I just wanted to point out Rick Honeycutt for the most part. Like, for one thing, like he's been a very, very good pitching coach. Like, mm-hmm. like I think a lot of people rave about him. Basically, he's very good at working with pitchers. He sort of um, has individual plans for each pitcher. He, he's not rigid. He doesn't, you know, you have to do this. Like, the, you don't hear a lot of times. I think about players leaving the Dodgers going. They they didn't want me to do this. They didn't want me to throw my slider. They wanted me to only do that. You know. They offer suggestions. They obviously they use a lot of data, and Honeycutt's like worked with multiple front offices, and he's been like made the transitions like seamless. Um, but this is his 14th year as pitching coach, and you look back wow. through Dodgers history, he's the longest tenured pitching coach in Dodgers history. Like they didn't have pitching coaches like in the 40s, like it was like informal, you know. Um, but like so, Ron Paranowski actually also did 14 years. He was 81 to 94. Red Adams was before him, 69-80, so he did 12. So they had, like, um, and Joe Becker from 55 to 65. Joe Becker was their first official pitching coach. So those guys are the ones who lasted, like, a decade or more. But, like, Honeycutt's right there with um, Paranowski and is, like, um, you know, the longest tenured in Dodger history. So that's it's amazing. But he also pitched for 21 years in the majors. Like, he ended his career, like, in uh, – uh, not ended it, but he sort of rejuvenated it um, in his mid-30s with those, like, Tony Larusa bullpens with the A's after the Dodgers actually traded him to Oakland. Um, but, like, and he started a lot. He, he won the ERA title in the American League in 83. Um, and actually that year, um, that was a year he was actually traded to the Dodgers, like, uh, in August or, or maybe, yeah. And uh, so – it was a weird year, weird way. Like, so the Dodgers in the winter meetings in 1982, they were hell bent on getting a catcher, right? They, they were unsure of Mike Socha. Um, they wanted an upgrade. Jim Sundberg was an all-star with the Rangers, um, veteran guy. Um, they had this huge deal worked out with the Rangers where if you look back, you're like, what's one of those, like, thank God they didn't do this deal. But so here's the deal. The, the Dodgers had a deal in place at the winter meetings. They were going to send, Burt Hooten, pitcher, uh, and now a minor league outfield named Mark Bradley, and then pitchers Dave Stewart, who was a minor leaguer, or he pitched briefly in the majors, and a minor league pitcher named Oral Hershiser. <laughs> um, Sunberg had, like, I think it was eight years left on his contract at the time. They had these weird, this was like the infancy of free agencies, so the players had weird deals. Baseball had weird rules at the time, so he had a, uh, a right to, like, nego- renegotiate his deal to approve it. So, uh, to approve the trade, Sunberg wanted them to like. Um, it was something like he wanted to like reduce it to like four years or something. He wanted more flexibility, and the Dodgers were like, no, you, we want your contract as it is. So the deal fell through, and they didn't do it. But like later in '83, um, they still made a trade with the Rangers and did send Dave Stewart along the way. But that was in the deal that got them recounting cut. And Rick Honeycutt, for the most part, was a starter with the Dodgers. He relieved a little bit, but he, for the most part, he was started. He was, he started. Um, he was with them th- from '83, '87. He was traded midway in '87 to the A's. Dodgers and A's made a lot of trades, like uh, a lot of deals together in a, like a 12 month period, and they ended up meeting in the World Series. It was very weird. But Honeycutt, in his Dodger career, he started 108 games. He's uh, there's only been. Uh, 66 Dodgers who started 100 games with the franchise, and he's one of them. And it's funny, so Ryu, he started 104 games. So Honeycutt's 61st in franchise history and starts, 
and reuse 60 seconds. So they're they're kind of linked in that way. Uh, but that's kind of it. Like he, he pitched, like I said, 21 years. That's amazing. But he's he's been Dodgers pitching coach for um, longer than anybody. So yeah, good I, for him. I and, wouldn't. If you had asked me how long has Cunningham been the the pitching coach, like it just it both feels like does not feel like 14 years does not feel that long because it feels like that that first few seasons was yesterday, but it also feels ever present. It's kind of weird right. that it's that similar at the same time. Yeah, he he's, his first year was 06, and they like they drafted Kershaw that year, so gives you a, and then you think about it, man, Kershaw's been here that long. Like, all right, so that's weird, but yeah, so that's that's our podcast this week, everybody. Um, thanks for listening, and we won't have as many games to talk about next week because they have a weird schedule, but I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about and probably more Joe Kelly. So thanks for listening, and see you next week.